podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Turn off your laptop. We're on staycation. I'm on TotalWine.com. They have so many rosés, chardonnays, and proseccos. It feels like a real vacation. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Table podcast where tonight we are previewing the Liverpool versus Bournemouth game this coming Saturday at Anfield. Once again with us we have Jay Riley. Jay is a, a regular on the Radio City Fan Friday talk show and regular with us on, on the cop table. So not been a very good week, shall we say, Jay, but uh, how are you feeling, pal? Yeah, a little bit deflated, as most Liverpool fans are, because, you know, obviously in the, within the space of a week we had the opportunity to go seven clear, and now we find ourselves in second place, but it's all about moving on to the next game and trying to get the three points on Saturday, so, you know, it's all systems go for that. Good stuff, and with us tonight for the first time we have Jonathan Spark. Jonathan is uh, a Bournemouth fan since 2009, when the... He was uh, in the days of the League Two, being put onto us by Paul Spears, who's uh, our usual Bournemouth guest. So uh, thanks to Paul for um, giving Jonathan a shout for us. So welcome to the show, Jonathan. How are you, mate? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I hope I uh, hope I don't let Paul down. <laughs> I'm sure you won't. And uh, I'm sure Paul will be listening. So um, thanks again to you, Paul. Right, we're going to start off talking a little bit about um, Liverpool's past couple of games, Jay, obviously we had the Leicester draw, didn't we? And then we we go to West Ham on, on Monday evening and again, we didn't put up a, a very good show, did we? Second half seemed to, to improve a little bit. Naby Keita seemed to to uh, step up slightly in, in the second half, but um, coming away with the points, was you disappointed and what was your thoughts on the performance, please, Jay? Yeah, I mean, after drawing against Leicester at home, which we put it down to a little bit. We give them a bit of a pass, didn't we, really, because the conditions were not great and you know, a little bit of, of a snowstorm, really, an hour or two before kick-off. And it definitely played a part because the pits didn't help. And I know it's the same for both teams, but you give them a bit of a pass for that because it wasn't the conditions definitely played a part. And so you're going into the West Ham game then thinking, well, OK, three points here against West Ham and get back on track, back to winning ways. And... You know, Liverpool got a little bit fortuitous, didn't they, early on? Because West Ham had a couple of opportunities, albeit from long range. And Andes and Cresswell had efforts that came close. But then Liverpool did take the lead. And we were a bit fortunate because it was it was fantastic football by, by Adam Lallana. It was a shock inclusion, really. I don't think we could believe it, could you, when the team came out and Wijnaldum and Henderson were missing. 
through injury and Lalana and Keita were getting a start in midfield and you knew straight away when you seen the midfield area it was a little bit weak wasn't it and you know to be fair to Lalana though he created the first goal it was fantastic footwork but James Milner was miles offside and I can't believe the Lions had never seen it but you know we let it go and, and Mane done really well to score and put us in front and you're hoping then, aren't you, Liverpool, just settle down, get a second goal and go on from there. But, you know, it wasn't long after that that West Ham, it was it was schoolboy, it was elementary really, wasn't it? The free kick and, you know, shocking defending by Liverpool. And, you know, Noble was clever by blocking off Naby Keita, who started to watch the runner. And, you know, Robertson got caught out really, didn't he, out of position. And Antonio scored in off the post. And I was a bit disappointed with, with, with Alisson, really, because he didn't really make an effort, did he, to die for it? And, you know, winning off the post, and there we are, 1 1. And, mm. you know, you're just expecting a little bit more from Liverpool. And pretty much like yeah. the Leicester game, we just never really got going, did we? And, you know, we got to half time, 1 1. And in the second half, when you're sort of like looking for a reaction and you're wanting them to sort of like kick on and create a little bit more and try and get the winning goal. We just we huffed and puffed and, and we just never really looked like scoring that much for me and pretty similar to the Leicester game, you know, we, we had a lot of the ball, a lot of possession and we just didn't really do a lot with it. We didn't really have that many chances. I mean Salah engineered himself into a couple of, you know, nice positions to shoot a goal, but you know, straight at the goalkeeper every time and in the dying embers of the game, obviously Oregon had the chance which was actually offside as well and the lines were never seen that never put his flag up and a very poor touch first time by Oregon and didn't set himself very well and it was stated the goalkeeper and just frustrating really because, you know, last last Tuesday, Newcastle done us a massive favour. Newcastle and Rafa done us a huge favour by beating Manchester City and it gave Liverpool an opportunity, a gift really, to go seven points clear and, you know, we drew against Leicester and then you, you're frustrated with that. And then even, even after that, you know, Manchester City beat Arsenal at the weekend we had another opportunity to pull clear again, really, didn't we, against West Ham, and we've basically dropped four points there, and, and it's very frustrating because we find ourselves now second in the table, and it's quite unbelievable, really, within the space of a week to go from potentially seven clear to level points. I know we've got a game in hand, but they've gone above us on goal difference, and you know, two really poor performances, really, and you know, is it is it nerves? Is it the tension getting to them? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, people will say. Liverpool are bottling it, but you know, I suppose when you're playing Leicester at home and West Ham away, no disrespect to them teams, but they're both mid table teams, aren't they? And if you want to be winning the league title, you've got to be beating them type of teams. But you know, Manchester City have lost four games this season, they've lost to Leicester, they've lost to Crystal Palace, you know, Newcastle, as I've just said. So, you know, who is bottling it? You know, realistically speaking, Manchester City, we all know, probably the best team in this league. Probably without a shadow of a doubt, really. And Liverpool have engineered themselves in a position where we're challenging and we've been top for six weeks. And now all of a sudden it's turned on its head a little bit. But we have the, the opportunity now on Saturday against Bournemouth to go back top of the table. But yeah, it's just been very frustrating, hasn't it? And I don't think injuries have helped, have they? I mean, we've questions allowing Nathaniel Klein to go out on loan as we did stupidity really because not only did he cover the right back area he also covered the left back area and you know, since Alexander-Arnold got his injury and he's missed four games and in them four games we've had Rafa Camacho at right back in the FA Cup we had James Milner at right back against Palace where he ended up getting sent off 
Jordan Henderson played right back against Leicester where we we missed him in the middle of the park on the night for me. And then Milner again was playing right back against West Ham. It's just not ideal, is it? Because, you know, it's unsettled the defence then, hasn't it? And, you know, it, it's not been great either because Joe Gomez, as we've found out now, needs an operation on his on his, his, his legs. So, you know, that's not ideal either because Matip hasn't looked great in the last couple of games. And it, it's just, you know, the, the, the Liverpool back line that's looked so solid throughout most of this season has just started to look a little bit shaky, a little bit flaky. The two goals that we've conceded against Leicester and West Ham have came from set pieces and that needs to be rectified quickly, really, because, you know, Liverpool have been solid this season and we don't want the cracks appearing now, not when we're in the midst of a title challenge. But it is what it is. We've dropped four points. It's disappointing. We've just got to move on from it now. Yeah, and just another quick one before we go over to um, Jonathan. After the game, Andy Robertson talked a little bit to the... the, um, to the press and what have you about Liverpool, and he saw he seemed to mention that there could be a little bit of of tiredness creeping in. Now we we had that break, didn't we, where we went to Dubai and then come back to to Leicester and West Ham. So it seems to me that you've had sufficient enough time to sort of regain that that energy. Um, do you think he's sort of deflecting the the issue that that he could possibly? be a little bit of nerves creeping in, Jay? I don't know, really. I mean, they shouldn't be tired, should they? Because we went out of the League Cup early to Chelsea mm. and we've gone out of the FA Cup early to Wolves. So, you know, they had the break, didn't they? And, and it's probably been... It's backfired, hasn't it? Because Liverpool on the back of the break don't tend to do well the, the next couple of games because you sort of, like, lose your cohesion and your momentum and your rhythm. Um, it's like the same after the international breaks as well. We normally tend to struggle... And it, it it obviously hasn't worked. It's backfired because they've gone to Dubai. Obviously, the temperature's been a lot different in Dubai as it has been in England. And and some players, certain players came back and ended up getting a little bit of sickness from it. You know, Virgil van Dijk was one of them. I think Fabinho was another one. And there was a couple of other players. So it hasn't worked. It hasn't been ideal. And basically, when we have the next break coming up, I'd like to think that they won't go on warm weather to train them because it, it doesn't serve any sort of purpose or it hasn't worked for Liverpool. So there's no point, is there? It just hasn't worked at all. And if they're coming, coming out now saying they feel a bit, there could be potential that they are a bit tired and jaded, then that, that's that's shocking, really, isn't it? Because you know they've had adequate time now you know, and, and gaps in between games. We haven't got the games that we did have. Uh, the Christmas period, the games do come thick and fast. You know, you're having a game every three days on average, but... You know, when the stats came out, Liverpool were actually we were actually fortunate in a, in a in a way because we had a lot of you know gaps in between you know our games over the festive period. Other teams were, you know, some of them were working out to two and a half days. So Liverpool certainly can't have any complaints, and you know it, it has tested the squad. The injuries that we've suffered, obviously, because Gomez and Lovren have been out injured, and Matip hasn't been back from injury that long, has he really? And Trent got an injury and what have you, and we, as I said before, stupidly let Klein go out on loan in the midfield area. Henderson's been a little bit in and out as well through injury, hasn't he, and what have you. So, I mean, realistically speaking, I think it's a bit of a it's a bit of a joke to say that the, the players are tired because they certainly shouldn't be. But what it, it has highlighted for me is the depth of the squad isn't as good as what we we thought it might have been or what we had hoped. Mm-hmm. And and it's been highlighted in a couple of these games. But, you know, all we can do is just try and move on from it and try and rectify the problem against Bournemouth on Saturday. Excellent. Cheers, Jay. OK, uh, Jonathan, going to 
head over to you now, looking back at a few of Bournemouth's recent fixtures. Just got them up here and you beat West Ham yourselves at 19th of January and then had another good win, well, an excellent win, 4-0 at home to, to against Chelsea, should I say. Um, and then you just went to Cardiff and, and lost 2-0. So just talk us a little bit about the, the previous performances for, for Eddie Howe's side, please, uh, uh, Jonathan. Yeah, well, I mean, the the West Ham win was very important in ending a run of games without wins. Um, I wouldn't be afraid to say that after a very bad series of, series of games, I was looking over my shoulder a bit in terms of, you know, are we actually going to be looking at, you know, 15th place again, 14th place again, based on how many losses we were getting mostly due to playing five of the top six in a, what seemed like in a row, playing Man mm. United again, losing all of those games, being, you know, this is this is our worst season by, um, well, until Chelsea, this was certainly our worst season in terms of getting anything against the top six. Um, the Watford game was a very good start to get that 3-3 draw before then, as you said, really good going mm. against West Ham where we... We pretty much dominated that game. Um, it was it was nice to see Bournemouth back to what uh, to what they were doing at the start of the season, playing against teams in and around them, and winning, and playing well doing so. Um, and then Chelsea, uh, there's no no Bournemouth fan can tell you they saw that coming. Absolutely not one Bournemouth fan <laughs> can tell you they saw that coming. Um, and it's I listen to a lot of podcasts, and it has been only about how bad Chelsea were in that game. And they were. They weren't they weren't good. But Bournemouth were very, very solid defensively and counterattacked ruthlessly. Um, which is what was so disappointing about the Cardiff game that everyone started going into that game with confidence to the point where there were a lot of Bournemouth fans probably going, well, you know, if we beat if we can beat Chelsea, we'll thrash Cardiff and it looked like that was the, the mentality that the Bournemouth players went into that game with. Um, you could cookie cut what Bournemouth did to Chelsea and slot it straight into what Cardiff did to Bournemouth four days later. Um, there was extenuating circumstances to an extent around the Cardiff game because of, um, you know, the tragic situation with... Um, their striker Emiliano Sala and the pilot yeah, David yeah. Davidson. Um, and, you know, as in the same way as Arsenal were very respectful and, you know, did a fantastic job of, rep- of recognising the situation, Bournemouth and their fans were, you know, very happy to be part of the, um, the, the sombre occasion that it was at the start. But then when the game got going, it looked like Bournemouth was still, you know, Bournemouth was still in a sombre mood, half asleep. And Cardiff just were better than us all over the pitch in terms of effort. And tactically, they defended very well. Um, and we couldn't break through them. The, the problem that a lot of people have picked out in that is that we were missing both Brooks and Wilson. And that is huge loss to us. Without those two players, we are much lesser going forward. Um, but you would ex- still expect a team like Bournemouth that are now have aspirations for getting to the Europa League to be able to beat a team in the relegation zone. So very disappointing last game, but 
you know, our heads are still pretty high after the uh, Chelsea result. Good stuff, yeah. And just like to ask you about, um, well, I can ask you about Nathaniel Klein. You also had Dominic Solanke who came down to yourselves from Liverpool, yet to be seen by uh, by your fans. But um, on Nathaniel Klein, how has he settled into into the into the Bournemouth squad, and is he getting a regular starting spot now? Um, well, we've seen both of them actually. Solanke did actually start against uh, oh, right, okay. Cardiff um, and played about an hour. I think it was. He's only just come back from injury, so you mm. know there's this and the midfield did not supply him very well at all against Cardiff. So it was it was it would be far too quick to say you know whether I've seen anything to say Dominic Solanke will work in the team or not. Um, but Klein has played every game for us since coming in. Um, he started nice. uh, two, three days after coming in against Brighton in the FA Cup, which we did lose. But you could see straight away um, that he certainly has, you know, quality on the ball. And I think more than anything else, I've been impressed with the kind of balance that he's helped bring the back line um, by him coming in. But typically having... Adam Smith at right back and Charlie Downs at left back, they both bomb on a lot. Um, it's very important to have Bournemouth play having attacking fullbacks, but you know, they are right at the extreme end of the kind of attacking that they do and sort of defending almost comes as a second thought against um against lesser teams. Whereas Klein is very has been very solid defensively, very solid. Um and because Adam Smith has shifted to left back, it's kind of meant as though you know, it's, it's, so Smith moves over to the left back position. It means that because we've got a slightly more defensively mind, uh, a more defensively minded right back as opposed to the offensive left back, it balances that defense a little bit more. Um, it means that we're not caught quite as, you know, quite as cold on our feet if we, if we lose the ball. Um, that isn't to say he doesn't get forward, of course, Klein and, you know, he put forward a, um, a fantastic pass for, Junior Stanislas assist for the third goal against Chelsea. Um, so I've been yeah very impressed with with Klein, um, and I'm wondering whether Liverpool are going to sell him to us uh, in the summer at this rate. Um, given how many players we've bought from Liverpool at this at, <laughs> at this point, um, yeah, Ryan um, Ryan Fraser was on a podcast, uh, Graham Hunter's podcast um, over the last few days, and he did mention that Solanke and um, uh, Solanke and um, Klein had fitted in um, very quickly, but it is a very welcoming group. Historically, um, players that come in do tend to settle pretty quickly. Um, the only player that we haven't seen so far, well, more than two seconds of him, um, is Chris, Chris Meppham um, as a January signing. So you know, we might see him soon, but as a centre-back, we've already got Cook and Ake well-esconced in there, so maybe we'll see him soon. Good stuff. Okay, then uh, back over to yourself, Jay. We're going to carry it. It's what the Liverpool fans want to talk about. It's what they want to hear about. It's, it's the title running, isn't it? It's, what, it's, what's, it's on on the um, on all the social media platforms. And So what we're going to talk about is a little bit about the, the running of both Liverpool and Manchester City. And who do you think has got the most difficult running? But then you've also got the added threats of, of Spurs, who are in third. I think it's Six points behind, aren't he? So, um, just give us a little bit of your thoughts on the on the running of both sides and Spurs as a threat, please, Jay. 
Well, I think that both run-ins are much of a muchness, really. I mean, Liverpool have to go to our game in hand's going to work out as Manchester United, which is obviously probably one of the most toughest games we could have because of the rivalry between us and Manchester United. But, you know, Old Trafford's not really notoriously being a great hunting ground for Liverpool to go to. But, you know, it is what it is, isn't it? They've had an upturn in form. But they've not really played anyone, you know, no disrespect to the teams they've played, but the toughest game they've had was at Wembley against Spurs. And they won the game 1-0, but on another day, Tottenham could have beat them 5-1 because David De Gea made about 12 saves in the game. It was unbelievable. It's like the Alamo at times. And, you know, you're looking at it thinking, well, who have they really played? But the one thing that it has done, it's given them confidence again and they've been able to flourish under a different manager, not someone who was stifling them as Mourinho was. So that's quite clearly going to be a difficult game for Liverpool. But, you know, Manchester City have got to go to Old Trafford as well. So, you know, Derby rivals, you know, the big big Manchester Derby. So, you know, make no mistake, you know, Manchester United will obviously prefer Man City to win the league than they will Liverpool. But they're not going to roll over for them because they've got their own battle to fight, haven't they? Because they're fighting for top four. So, you know, yeah. they've still got to, to go to Old Trafford as well. So it's equally as tough, really, for them. Um, other than that, you know, they play Chelsea at home. They play... Spurs at home, exactly like what Liverpool have got. We've got Spurs first, and then we've got Chelsea. I think theirs is the other way around, because this weekend they play Chelsea, don't they? And then we've got Spurs later in the season. Um, other than that, I mean, Liverpool have got to go to Everton, which, you know, let's be honest, Everton are a mid-table team, but because it's a derby game, it's just that adds that little bit of extra spice to it. And, you know, Everton, Everton fans and players, and as a club, they'd like not more than to, to stop Liverpool from trying to win the title. So, you know, that's a massive game for Liverpool. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think Crystal Palace could be a tough away game for them, for Man City, I really do. But, you know, is it as tough as going to, to Goodison for Liverpool? I'm not so sure. Um, other than that, I mean, they've got relatively straightforward home games, I would say. I think they've got to go to Bournemouth as well. You know, obviously, we've... We've got born for the weekend, but it's at Anfield, so you'd you'd obviously say it's tough for them going away from home and Liverpool being at Anfield against them. Um, I don't know really. It's 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 very even, isn't it? And Liverpool's game and hand obviously is against um, Manchester United, so that's that's a huge game. We've just got to make sure we try and get the three points on Saturday against Bournemouth, and it's all right looking ahead and trying to pick holes out of the fixture list for Liverpool, the fixture list for Manchester City, but. We can only take it one game at a time, really. And, you know, it's going to be tight. There's no two ways about it. And and you're looking at Spurs. I mean, are they out of it? And you look and think they've lost six games this season. But they're only five points behind, aren't they? So, realistically speaking, it's a near two-game swing. So, they're probably not out of it in the sense that, can I see Spurs winning the title? No, I can't. But... They're not totally out of it because they can still have a say. They've still got to play Liverpool at Anfield. They've still got to play Man City at the Etihad. They've still got to play Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, which is a tough game for them. But when you think about it, you know, they've got two six pointers against us and City. So, you know, they're a good side on the day. And when they play Liverpool and when they play Man City, they're probably going to have all the players back. They're going to have Harry Kane back. They'll have Deli Alley back. So, you know, Son's back now from the you know the, the international duty that he was on. He's back scoring goals for them. So, yeah, you know, you can't totally rule them out because they're a very good side. But 
you probably would be saying, no, that realistically it is more likely to be between Liverpool and City over the title. Who's going to win it is anybody's guess. Like I say, we've had a deflating week, really. Could have went seven points clear, find ourselves in second place. But all we can do is try to remain positive and believe that we can do it. And we've just got to move on to the next game. Make sure we get three points. Go back top of the table, come five o'clock on Saturday and put the pressure on Man City's game on Sunday. Yeah, I think you're pretty much... um... Hit the nail on the head there, Jay, by saying that the fans, they've just got to keep believing. We've had these two games now where, like you say, we're feeling a bit deflated, but now it's up to the fans to get themselves G'd back up again and get that crowd bouncing on Saturday. And like you say, hopefully come five o'clock on Saturday, we'll have done enough to have gone back top of the table. And and then it's it's game by game, like you say, and, and see what happens. Let's see how far it takes us. So... Jonathan, just going to ask you a little bit about um, Bournemouth's predicted starting line. What, how do you think Eddie Howe will line up, consider, given into consideration any injuries or, or suspensions that the, the Bournemouth squad may have? Yeah, it's. Um, I think if I think if Eddie could, he'd name the same lineup as he did against Chelsea and, and play that team again. But um, unfortunately, there's two circumstances that stop us from doing that. The firstly is that. Klein obviously cannot play against his parent club, and David Brooks is injured, which, like I said before, is is you know very detrimental to um, how well we can play, especially going forward. Uh, let alone how how well he does defensively. So it's going to be Boric again in goal, um, and then I would imagine our back three will revert to before Klein came in. So Smith at right back, Kukake and Daniels um, as well. And then I think it's probably going to be Stanislas and Fraser on the right and left. Then with Lerma and Lerma, I think will come in for Sermon and Gosling will be the other one in, in central midfield. Up front, King will definitely start. And then to go with him, I've gone for Solanke, given that he started against Cardiff. Um, he could take Solanke out and put in... Uh, Mousset, or might even see Jordan Ibe get a start, and Jordan Ibe would go on the wing instead of Stanislas, with Stanislas coming behind King, probably. Um, there's a couple of ifs and, ifs and buts there, but uh, it's it's probably going to be uh, very close to the lineup we played against um, uh, Cardiff, uh, discounting Klein coming out, of course. So 4-4-2, which we've sort of settled into usual, and plan of attack, I think, will just be to try and catch you on the counter. Um and I think that's pretty much the only way that we really can play with that with that lineup as it is, because we don't have a player like Brooks in there who can take the ball and and spread it wherever he likes, but also then can, can then you know dribble it past two or three players. Um, it's from the sounds of things against West Ham, it was very much that Liverpool lost the battle in midfield with you know whether you want to say lightweight, whether you just want to say that West Ham wanted it more. You know, Bournemouth now will only ever, I think, play with the midfield too. So I don't think we're going to be winning the midfield. And if that was the way the West Ham got, got at you, then that's not going to be the way that Bournemouth do. And it's going to, like I said, be pretty much exclusively trying to get you on the counter. Um, but keeping our history against Liverpool since Jurgen Klopp came in, we haven't conceded less than two goals against you in the league. So... You know, it's it's certainly, regardless of past form, um, 
it's going to be very, very difficult to Bournemouth get any, for Bournemouth to get anything from this game. OK, cheers, John. Right, Jay, we're just going to have a little look towards the the predicted Liverpool lineup and who you think will come in for the for the game on Saturday, obviously with, with Klein, Henderson and Wijnaldum now coming back into into training. Um, you just see it's mainly the midfield three or, or two, if you like, where, where we seem to rotate week in, week out. So just give us your thoughts on... Um, on a predicted start in 11, please, Jay. Yeah, I think Trent will come back in at right back, much needed as well, because, you know, I suppose it's like anything in life, you don't realise what you, you've got until it's gone. And basically, we've, we've struggled so much without him at right back. It's quite unbelievable, really. I mean, earlier on in the season, I didn't think he was having the best best of seasons, to tell you the truth. I thought he was getting targeted at times, and, and, he, and he still does now, really, on certain occasions, but it's evident that we miss him because he just gives us that little bit of width as well and uh, the enthusiasm of youth, if you like. He's not a, a, as bad a defender as what some people seem to make out that he is, and his delivery is fantastic in terms of what he can produce from wide areas for us and stretches the play. You know, he, he's, he's really good when you analyse it, and we haven't half missed him, and you know, maybe it wouldn't have been the case, it wouldn't have been as evident if he wouldn't have allowed a client to go out on loan to Bournemouth, I don't know, but, you know, in these last four games that he hasn't played in, we, we've missed him and it's been very evident and, you know, obviously, with him being back in training now, there's no reason why he shouldn't start this game because he's needed back in this starting eleven. Now, other than that, I mean, Lovren's still injured, Joe Gomez is still injured, so we're going to have to go with the same centre-half pairing of Matip and Van Dijk. Now, Matip hadn't done too bad before he got his injury. But as soon as he's come back into the side, really, he, he struggled, hasn't he? Do you know what I mean? He just hasn't really got going. And he, Bambi on ice is a phrase that gets gets used quite a lot for, for Matip. And I've noticed that, you know, he tries to bring the ball out of defence quite a bit. And he just ends up losing it and it puts us under pressure. He's so infuriating at times. But we've got no other options, so he's going to have to play centre-half with Van Dijk. You're going to have Andy Robertson, as I say, at left-back. In midfield, it looks like Henderson and Wijnaldum are going to be available for selection. Whether or not he starts the two, I'm not sure. I mean, people are crying out for Naby Keita to get a run of games. And I did say on the last podcast, you can't carry passengers, not when you're in the midst of a title challenge. And in the first half against West Ham, I thought he was he was a shambles, to be honest with you. He was shocking, you know, getting dispossessed, not tracking back, just leaving his man. Just looks weak, and not just weak in terms of physique, mentally weak as well. You know, unprofessional at times. But I have to say, the second half, he was like a completely different player. He was arguably our best player in the second half. So, uh, you know, maybe there's little signs there. We all know that he's got ability. We all know the lads, like we've seen in the Bundesliga last year. He looked like a gem. We were all excited, weren't we, that we were signing this kid for fifty million pounds, and he just hasn't got going. But the second half, there was little signs where he was getting the ball and he was carrying it and he was going past men and he was trying to link the play. So it was food for thought going forward that like there is a player there. We all know that there is anyway. He's, just so, he's obviously a confidence player, isn't he? And, and hopefully that, that half of football against West Ham will be the starting point now for him to kick on. And if he does get a run of games, then you know so be it. I mean, I, I know I'm against it really by saying about carrying, you can't carry passengers, but... The facts are, maybe Henderson, Wijnaldum, who knows, one or the other, they might not be 100% to start the game. 
for maybe a little bit of a risk to start both of them, but maybe you'll only start one of them and then Keita will get the nod as well as Fabinho. Who knows? As I say, we say time and time again, it's very difficult to second-guess Jürgen Klopp's team selections. Um, you'd have to say the forward three again. You're going to have to pick the forward three. And, and that's mainly down to the fact that the backup in reserve that we've got, Sturridge and Oregon, is simply not good enough to dislodge someone like Firmino. Now, Firmino the other night was absolutely shocking, quite possibly one of his worst ever performances in a Liverpool shirt. And, and I think he struggled all season, to tell you the truth. Last season, when he got given the number nine and he was going to be the main man up front, I had me doubts at the start of last season because I thought, I don't think he's going to score enough goals for us to be Liverpool's number nine. And he totally and utterly proved me wrong because I think he scored 28 goals last season. He was phenomenal. And he certainly mm-hmm. won me over. And he won me over for that number nine position. You know, fantastic. His work ethic, the way he pulls defence to centre-half, so out of position. You know, he can work right the way across the front line. And he was scoring goals, some lovely goals as well. He, his interchange is great. His link plays great. Creativity, you name it. He had it last season. This season... I think he's played in maybe 30, 32 games. I think he scored nine goals. And don't forget, he scored a hat-trick against Arsenal. He's actually scored in seven games this season of 30, mm. 31, 32 games. That's a shocking return for your number nine. Now, people will say, well, he hasn't been playing as a number nine for a lot of the season. That's quite true because, you know, obviously, we play a 4-2-3-1. But by the by, even though he's played a little bit deeper... That return of nine goals scored in only seven games this season is absolutely shocking, really, isn't it? For a player of his calibre at our club, the chances that Liverpool create in, in every single game, basically. And it's certainly, for me, it, it's it's an issue because he just hasn't really got going. It just, it, it just doesn't seem right. He's certainly not the player of last season. But the argument is, who do you take him out for? Because, you know... To me, Sturridge is finished. His legs have gone. It's just a waste of time. You know, I was like, you know, he come on the other, the other, the other night against Leicester, and he, he can't run properly, and he's shooting from thirty yards. And okay, he scored that great goal, didn't he, at Stamford Bridge earlier on in the season in September time? So that's four or five months ago now. You know, he hasn't really done a great deal since, has he? Um, you know, you look at Origi. I know he scored the goal in in, in the derby game against Everton. Very fortuitous, wasn't it, really? But, you know, the chance he had the other night, I know he was offside, but you've got to do better in that situation. And his first touch was, like, absolutely horrendous. You know, it, it's not great, is it, when the players that you've got to turn to on the bench are Divock Origi and Daniel Sturridge. And, and that's the reason why, for me, you know, he's having to play week in, week out, and he's not being taken out the firing line when he's not being performing well. So... You know, it is what it is, and we've got to stick with it. And hopefully that the players will, you know, get a little bit of rhythm and momentum and, and you know, just improve. Because, to me, I don't even think Salah's been all that great at times either. I was a bit surprised he got played of the month for January because, mm. you know, he scored that goal, didn't he, against Crystal Palace, which was, it was a genius finish. But a lot of the other goals he's been scoring have been penalties recently, haven't they? His, his actual all-round game, for me, something's not quite right with him either. I think when he plays up front, his back's a goal. He's wasted a lot of the time. He's left a little bit isolated. And, and you know, he's better off playing from that right-hand side, in my opinion, because 
Fullbacks can't cope with them. Centre half don't know where they're coming or going. And he gets in behind them, and, and to me, I just think Klopp's starting to mess around with the team a little bit this season, and, and you haven't seen the best of Salah or Firmino because of it. But Mane's been the better of the three, and he, he's obviously scored in his last three games now. I think it is in the Premier League, and, and to me, he's been a shining light in a lot of these games since Liverpool haven't really been performing to the best of their abilities in terms of 2019 has not being great for Liverpool at all. It's been a bit of a mixed bag. I think we've won two, drew two, lost two. Um, it's not been great at all. And in, in all that time, I think Manny, to me, has been, has been the man that's, that stood out, if you like, in an attacking sense for us. So, like I say, he's probably going to go with the same front three, but question marks are being asked of certain players now. And, and when it gets to this stage of the season, they need to step up and start producing the form that we know they're capable of and, and what they showed for the majority of last season. Because it hasn't been the same this season at all. Liverpool have got to this stage now in more of a methodical manner than anything else. Yeah, we've done all right in December. We battered Bournemouth 4-0 at their place. We put five past Arsenal, didn't we? Four past Newcastle. But like I say, earlier on in the season, Liverpool were, were grinding out results more than anything else because we had a solid base, great defence, not conceding many goals. And, and as I say, since the turn of the year... We've started conceding a few goals and not really had the attacking prowess, if you like. I know we put four past Crystal Palace, but other than that, you know, one against Brighton, one against City, one against Wolves in the Cup, one against Leicester, one against West Ham. You know, we need to start firing again, getting back to firing on all cylinders, really. And certain players need to step up to the plate and hopefully it'll start again on Saturday. Excellent stuff, yeah. Thanks, Jay. OK, before we do our score predictions and, and introduce the music, just going to have um, just a quick one with you, Jonathan, and ask you a little bit about the the predicted formation and what tactics um, Eddie Howe's like, likely to utilise in this in this fixture. Previous away games, has he tended to go with the 4-5-1, or has he, has he mixed it up a little bit and provided the, your team with a little bit more of an, an attacking threat? And how do you see him playing this one at the weekend, please? In in past seasons, um, as we've sort of been making our, you know, trying trying to get a foothold in the league, we have tended to go to um, at first a four five one, but more recently sort of a three four three um, in or when playing against the bigger teams. Um, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, we beat Chelsea three 0 last season playing a three four three away from home, um, but then. You know, we haven't managed to get any results apart from against Chelsea again at home this this year, regardless of what formation we play. Um, I think it's pretty evident now that Eddie has firmly set that it doesn't matter what kind of opponent we're playing, we're playing four four two, which does does give up a lot of control in the middle of midfield in the central in the central midfield area and just encourages the two centre midfielders to drop deeper and deeper and deeper when when we're under pressure um, and the strikers pull back as well. And it often means that, you know, we're punting the ball up when, when in as we will be against Liverpool, when we're trapped in our box, we punt the ball away and, and we've got no one to clear it to. Having said that, those are also the best, those are also the times where we are going to be most dangerous um, against Liverpool when we are, you know, 
when we win the ball on the edge of our box and we have players with pace like King, um, like with Fraser, you know, Stanislas can keep up with that as well and and create those counter-attacking opportunities, which is what we've been best at this season. Um, so that's what I imagine, um, you know, the main plan is going to be um, as defensively, I am worried about um, if Salah plays on the right, um, Salah going up against Charlie Daniels, who'll come back in for the first time in three games, I think, uh, three or four games, because he has been... He, to me, he seemed like a bit of a weak link um, this season in defence. He has you know, had issues off the field with uh, his dad's been seriously ill um, over this past few months, but... Um, that's where I think we're going to have to be most careful. And also with Alexander-Arnold coming back in, it means that um, you have that fantastic crossing ability from the right-hand side. Bournemouth are horrendous at blocking crosses. Um, so that's always going to be an opportunity. Um, and with Alexander-Arnold coming back in, it means that you're going to have a stronger midfield because Milner or Henderson um, and possibly uh, will we'll be back into, into that midfield area. So we're going to have to scrape through the first 20, 25 minutes, at least maybe even the first half an hour before hoping to try and find something at some point on the counter. Brilliant. Thanks, Jonathan. Okay, then um, going to do our, our score predictions now, lads, before we um, introduce the band that's uh, been in touch with us this week. Starting off with you, Jay, that pulls the home side, so um, you can step up first and give us your thoughts on a score prediction and your reasons for them, please, Jay. Well, look, it's important to get the three points, get back to winning ways, because, you know, we've just had a, a bad week, really, haven't we, with two draws and being dislodged from top of the table and now in second place, and Manchester City don't play till Sunday, so Liverpool have got to apply the pressure. We've got to get a win in this game, get three points and go back to the top of the table and see how they cope with a tough game against Chelsea on Sunday. So, you know, that's important. But I also think that the manner of how we do it could be quite important. Not necessarily to me or you, but I just mean fans in general to settle people down a little bit because all we can do is take it one game at a time now. There's 13 games to go. Every single one of them, as we keep saying, we've been saying it since about 16 games to go. They're all cup finals, aren't they? Because this means so much to us. It's the holy grail. It's what we all crave. We haven't won a league title for... 20, this is going into the 29th year now, and it's nearly three decades. It's a, it's a long, long time. And you know, some fans that go to match and you know, go to Anfield every other week, you know, they've never witnessed Liverpool win, win the title before. So... You know, it's massively important to people. It means so much. And, and obviously, because it does mean so much and we crave it, that's, that does create a little bit of tension and nerves. We can't, we've got to get behind them. It's as simple as that. We've got to act as the 12th man. Liverpool have got seven home games between now and the end of the season. Every single one of them's got to be a party atmosphere. We've got to be right behind them. We've got to roar them home, really, be the 12th man, because. You know, OK, in the away games, the, the, the travel and Liverpool fans have, have always been great. But sometimes Anfield can be a little bit quiet at times and there's no excuses. I mean, what would we rather be in? A battle for top four or a battle for the title? You know, this this is genuinely a, a fantastic opportunity 
for Liverpool to become champions of England for the first time in a long, long time. And will he have a, have a duty as fans to get behind them and roll them home to victory in these last seven games that we've got at Anfield? And it simply has to happen. We can't get to the stage, the stage and situation that what happened against Leicester. Moans and groans after half an hour when we're actually 1-0 up in the game. And, and it's purely mm. simply down to tension. And, and I know it's not easy. I, I understand it. You know, sometimes you, I get frustrated myself at times. But, you know, we, we've got to do it. I mean, if you're not going to get behind them in these last seven games when you go to match, you're going to go there and moan and grumble at certain things that you don't like, then give your ticket to someone else who is going to get behind them. Because it's massively important that we do this. Because let's make no mistake about it. Manchester City are, are a freak. They're an absolutely fantastic team. And we see now with the squad depth that they've got, you know, certain players that they can bring off the bench. I mean, I think Kevin De Bruyne come off the bench the other night. He's hardly played, played all season. You can only bring Mares off the bench. Sterling didn't even start the other night either. You know, they've got Leroy Sané there. The, the, the options they've got, Bernardo Silva, David Silva, they're an absolute freak. They got 100 points last season. So we're in a battle with, it, with an unbelievably fantastic team. But Liverpool mm. are a fantastic team as well. I, mean, I think we need to understand and appreciate that ourselves, that we're witnessing a, a very good Liverpool side here. And it will be a, a fantastic achievement if you do go on to win the league. We've got to do our job as well. And like I say, we have to take one game at a time and the next one up is against Bournemouth. And I do think it's not just about the victory for some people, it's the performance levels as well. Just to give that a little bit of added belief again to the fans who have turned into doubters a little bit because of these two draws. We've just got to remain hopeful and positive and get behind them and believe that we can still do it. And I still think we can do it. So I think it'll be convincing on Saturday. I really do. Bournemouth are the type of team that allow you to play football. They'll come and have a game of football with us. They're not going to kick us off the park. I think they've got a couple of key players missing. Looks like Wilson's going to miss the game and he's the goal scorer, the main goal scorer anyway. David Brooks, I like the look of him. I think he's a fantastic little footballer and he's going to miss the game as well. So you know, they've got a few issues themselves. We can't moan about injury issues that we've got. We've got a couple of players coming back now. Henderson, Wijnaldum, St. Alexander-Arnold. So there's no excuses for us to not go and win that game on Saturday. And I think we will do. I think it'll be Liverpool 3, Bournemouth 0. 3-0 for you. Jay, and yeah, spot on with your um, with your comments regarding the crowd and and the way they need to get up because there has been a lot of um, tension around the stadium, like you say, and like we spoke on the last podcast about Van Dijk had mentioned it, and I think they just need to, like you say, relax, go there, enjoy it, and just just give the back into the team for ninety minutes and just sing and, and, and shout and do what you like to to get the team over the line and. The, in these last seven games. But before I give my um, score prediction, Jonathan, going to get your thoughts on um, score prediction and reasons, please. Yeah, I um, I agree with everything that's been said before. I think um, you know Liverpool is certainly going to be wanting to come in and you know prove prove their mettle, show you know show the fans more importantly than anything else um, that you are going to be competing just as well as over previous months for for the title and battling with City. Um, I think it's going to be a 2-0 win to Liverpool. Um, I think with Brooks out, with Wilson out, um, with even looking at the fact that it's Lewis Cook is out as well, who's another player, really important young player in the midfield for us. 
there's a lot of attacking weapons that we're missing. Defensively, we'll miss Klein as well. Um, so it's it's going to be a big struggle for Bournemouth to have any kind of foothold in the game, um, I think. And Eddie's philosophy is to create chances through possession. Um, as much as we have become quite a good counter-attacking team, and as I've mentioned before, that's going to be our, I would imagine, that is going to be our main tactic. Um, if Liverpool score early, it could well continue, and we could well see a battering. But on the flip side, if it's nil-nil or even one-nil after, say, an hour, with the with the pressure that's on the team, with the nervousness in the stadium, which has never really been the case before when Bournemouth played Liverpool, you never know whether Bournemouth might nick a point. But you know, my head certainly says that it's going to be two nil at least to Liverpool. Cheers, Jonathan. Yeah, and just my own thoughts on um, on the score prediction and what have you for the for the game with the weekend. Like Jay said, Liverpool are, are desperate now to get back on track in, in this title race. Um, after a couple of draws, we've had them sure that Jürgen Klopp will have had them on the training ground this weekend. I think there'll have been an extra incentive on, on attacking play and creating chances um, and things like that and hopefully letting the defence get back to how it was and, um, and, and being as settled as it was in previous fixtures earlier on in the season. So I think he'll have had them um, working a lot more on the uh, on the attackers side of our game, and um, I think he, he also wants to, doesn't want to create the tension in the stadium, so he'll want us to to come out all, all guns blazing and and try and get a couple of early goals. Um, and I just think that Liverpool will do that this weekend with with obviously um, now giving up the, the top spot to Manchester City. I think that these players are going to have the bit between the teeth and. And they're gonna to have to show from the past couple of performances that that they really they really mean business. So um, bearing that in mind, I still think Bournemouth may may nick a goal, but I'm gonna go for a four-one Liverpool victory in this game. I just I just think that um, the front three they're gonna to have it drilled into them that this is this is one of the fixtures where where we need to to hit the ground running out and we need to to start putting our chances away that we're creating and whether it being a home game at Anfield, hopefully the crowd will be um, well up for it like like we're hoping and, and expecting. So uh, um, I'm going to go for a 4-1 victory for Liverpool in this fixture. So just before we go, lads, I'm going to introduce the band that's been in, in touch with us. We played them um, a couple of times on, on previous podcasts this season, last season. Uh, they're called The Gear, based in Liverpool. Um, manager of the band, Kenny Harp, has been in touch with me this week and asked, can we play the new track that's out by, by the lads? So... Um, you can catch them on Spotify, SoundCloud, um, and I'll put the link up to their to their Twitter page on, on the Coffee Table page once once it's out. So the song I'm going to play for you tonight is called "Secret That Lies Behind" by The Gear.
So that song was called Secret That Lies Behind from The Gear. Thanks very much to the lads and uh, Kenny for getting in touch this week with the with the track for us to play. So, yeah, just a, a thanks to the Liverpool online Facebook and Twitter page that's been an association with us this season and putting out all our podcasts on the on their social media platforms and all the LFC day trippers um, podcasts and, and shows that they do. So big thanks to them. Also, don't forget to keep up with the the No More Knives campaign. Paul Bentley, um, he's got a he's got a very active Facebook page now. He's with, with his new gym and all the things that he's doing with. With, um, with Sean Mashadod, the, the boxer, and, and Lee Butler, he's got a lot going on. So, been speaking to him this week, and he, he's really uh, happy with the with the support we're giving to the No More Knives campaign. So, yeah, keep um, keep on track with them guys as well. So, thanks very much, Jonathan, and uh, thanks very much, Jay, for your time tonight, lads. No problem. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Bye. Nice one, lads. Enjoy the game. You too. Thanks very much. So that's the cop table preview of the Liverpool versus Bournemouth game all done. Uh, we'll be back after a short break uh, after this game and we'll be focusing on the Liverpool- Manchester United versus Liverpool game, which will be our, our next fixture after Bournemouth. So thanks everybody for listening and we'll speak to you all very soon. Goodbye. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Sports Social Podcast Network.